Hi, friends. Have you had a chance to join the waitlist for my online Declutter Your Motherhood course yet? I absolutely loved teaching this workshop in person in 2018 and 2019. And last year, I realized I wanted to bring back the workshop, but I wanted to create it as an audio course that women from all over the country and world could listen to on their own time using the best of the best of what I've learned about decluttering your motherhood like you would a Pinterest-worthy closet. The workshop will all be released on a private podcast feed to consume at your own pace, and it includes a PDF workbook to help with deep thought work and reflection as you learn. In this audio course, you'll learn how to declutter the shoulds that you hold for yourself as a mom and the mental load that you carry in a very similar process to how you would declutter a closet in your home. It is such a fun and impactful workshop, and if you want to get on the email list to stay up to date on when the course will be released and all the details to come, all you need to do is text the word WAITLIST, W-A-I-T-L-I-S-T, to 33777. That's the word WAITLIST to 33777 for more details to come soon. I simply cannot wait. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast to help you feel more like yourself within your motherhood. Each 30-minute episode features three actionable takeaways to help you become a more self-assured mom, someone who knows yourself, honors your needs, and loves your people. Listen in to feel encouraged as we learn together how to overcome overwhelm and find more magic in motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. I'm so glad you're here. As a parent, one of my biggest fears is that my child will become a victim of sexual abuse. But despite this being something that I do think about often, I've put off having pointed conversations with my children about this because it's just so hard and upsetting and scary. I think I've assumed that if I just keep an extra watchful eye on my kids and monitor who they're spending time with and watch for all the red flags and signs, then maybe I can keep them safe without ever having to say a word about it to them. But the more I've researched this, the more I've realized that children who know about sexual abuse are actually safer because they themselves know what is and is not okay. And they can seek help sooner if they recognize that something is off in the way that an adult or an older child in their life is treating them. So I'm committed to having more conversations with my kids about this difficult topic. And I wanted to bring some of what I've been learning onto the podcast in case you also want to have these conversations with your kids, but don't know where to start. Today, I'm interviewing Dr. Tia Kim, Vice President of Education Research and Impact at the Committee for Children. Dr. Kim is a developmental psychologist, a parent-child relationship expert, and a mom of two. She supports families with research-based tips to help them navigate the stress and uncertainty of parent life and the challenging topics that can arise. I'm so grateful to Dr. Kim for bringing her expertise to the podcast today to talk about preventing childhood sexual abuse. Let's dive in. Dr. Tia Kim, welcome to 3 and 30. We are so excited to have you today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk about such an important topic. It is such an important topic, and I think one that is so scary for parents, myself included, that sometimes we can just ignore it and sort of cross our fingers and hope that maybe if we're just careful enough, this will never happen, but we don't really talk to our kids about it. And it's just something that's really hard for parents to confront. And so I'm grateful that you're here to teach us how to do that. How did you start doing this work with sex abuse prevention? Yeah, so I am trained as a developmental psychologist. So essentially, I've always been really interested in understanding children and youth's development and what are the best and most powerful, you know, support mechanisms to help with healthy development. 
And my early work really focused on adolescence and really thinking about like delinquency and youth violence and what are predictors of that and how can we prevent that from happening, really thinking about it. And then I moved into education. That's where I've been in for probably the past decade and really thinking about how within education systems and in schools in particular, how we could create programs to help foster overall good social emotional competence. And so the organization I work for is Committee for Children. We're a nonprofit organization. We've been around for a little over 40 years. And the main goal right now of our work is really focused on social emotional learning. But our early roots are actually in child sexual abuse prevention. So the founders of our organization were actually two women who were anthropologists. And they were doing research at the time, really studying and talking, interviewing women who were living on the streets and oftentimes um, working in prostitution. And so in these interviews, what they found was that there was a common thread or theme, and that was that almost all of them had been sexually abused. And so Mm -hmm. for them, they were like, how do we create prevention programming so that young kids aren't abused and then, you know, eventually have to have the same outcomes that those women that they were talking to had. We still have that program. It's called our Second Step Child Protection Unit, and it's a program that is taught within schools. But I think a key mechanism to child sexual abuse prevention is, yes, we can teach skills to kids on how to refuse behavior and report it, but really the burden should be on adults, right? That they were there to help protect kids and support them and hopefully not allow this to happen to them. And so a key component of child sexual abuse prevention is really parents, caregivers, and families, and really starting very early and often having conversations with children around this topic. Yeah. And what strikes me when you talk about that history of doing these programs in schools, which is important, is that it's even more important that it's happening at home, that parents are equipped to have these conversations because a quick unit at school isn't going to be enough to really protect our kids in a way where they will feel comfortable coming to us and talking to us about these topics. And so I think that leads really well into your first takeaway of how can parents have these discussions with their kids? Yeah. So You know, we know the statistics, the most recent statistics is that about one in four girls and one in 20 boys will report experiencing sexual abuse before the age of 18. And 90% of abusers are someone that the child knows very well. And so this whole myth of like stranger danger is actually a myth. And so all of those statistics really shines the light on how important prevention is. And really a key component to that, like I said earlier, is that parents and caregivers really do need to start to have these conversations really framed around safety and personal safety with their children. And I think the first thing to always think about is that you should start these conversations early. Parents may think early, like how early? Like very early when kids start to identify body parts and talk about their body, like it's okay to start to have those conversations early. And on top of that, really often, right? That you don't just have the conversation once. It's a continual conversation that happens over time. And obviously the conversation and the nuances that change over time because how you talk about it, for instance, with a two-year-old is different how you talk about it with a 12-year-old. But I think that's the Mm -hmm. first key is have the conversations early, have them often. And now there may be, you know, some moms out there that are like, "Uh uh-oh, my kid's nine and I haven't started the conversation yet. And that's okay. It's never too late to start the conversation, but I think that is the most important key is to just start these conversations because it really creates 
a warm kind of open lines of communication with your kids so that if something were to happen to them, they feel comfortable coming to you and talking to you. Yeah. Well, and I was struck, I was researching on your website more about this topic, and I saw the statistic that I believe it said that children under the age of nine are most likely to be sexually abused. And they're really little is the window when they're the most vulnerable, actually. Mm -hmm. And so we think, oh, gosh, I could never talk to my young child about this, but it's important that we do. So we start with just naming body parts when they're little and giving them the words around that. Is that how you would suggest starting? Yeah, I think it's really important to name body parts the anatomically correct way. There's some research that shows if you do that, if something were to happen to them, then they can accurately describe what's happening, right? Mm. So that's important. Even when they're young, you know, you could have conversations around where does your underwear cover? It covers certain places because they're private, right? And so just starting that kind of conversation. I think the thing to think about, you know, I'm a parent, too, of two boys. They're teenagers now, but I've had these conversations when they were very very little, is that it's always more awkward for the parent. So I think it's important for parents to just think, okay, like, I got to kind of get through this conversation. It doesn't have to be perfect. You can kind of mess it up, but it's just important to kind of continually have it. And the child, especially when they're young, doesn't really feel that uncomfortable about it, right? They're just, like, listening to you. And it comes very natural, kind of the conversation. And I think a good thing to think about is, again, like frame it as safety. I think that's Mm -hmm. a a really important point is that I always think of it as just safety talks, right? Just like before your child rides a bike. I always used to say this to my kids. I still do when they go out on their scooters or bikes. It's like, make sure you wear your helmet, right? Make sure you look both ways before you cross the street. In the same vein, you can think of safety rules that you create within your family to help them talk about it. And I think that makes it a little bit easier to then start the conversation. Yeah. I feel like I have been very good about naming all the body parts anatomically correct from the time they were young. But I've had a hard time transitioning from that conversation into a conversation about abuse because I don't want to scare them. It doesn't feel scary to me to name all their body parts, but to then say somebody might touch your body parts and that's not okay And it's easier to describe it as like some creepy stranger out there might do this to you. So tell me, but to let them know, like, this could be people that you know and love. In Mm -hmm. fact, it most likely would be. That feels so scary to say that to a young child. So how do you bridge this gap between naming body parts to having these more nuanced conversations Mm -hmm. about the situations that might come up? Yeah, one way I like to think about it is, because it's easy for me to remember, is like the three R's of safety, right? So essentially, you know, one, helping kids recognize, for instance, unwanted or unsafe touches. I think two, being able to refuse them. And then three, reporting if something happens to them. And so one way, you know, going back to your question, recognizing, I think of it kind of framing it around like consent, right? Like, so every kid has kind of their own intuition they know like okay if something doesn't kind of sit right with me or kind of butterflies in my stomach or it's like to go with your instincts and gut like I think you can have that conversation like sometimes if you're not feeling comfortable with something it's always okay for you to refuse something or it's not wanted right so thinking of it from Mm -hmm. a consent perspective and not only that other people may say no they don't want something from you and you have to be able to say like okay and then just helping them recognize kind of unsafe situations, right, I think is another way to think about it. Particularly when your kids get older, it's not just something that can happen in a physical space. Child sexual abuse can actually happen online too, right? 
So you could have rules around, you know, it's never okay for someone to ask you to show a picture of your own private body parts or show their private body parts to you, for instance, on a picture or through a text or online or those kinds of things. So again, just Mm -hmm. framing it around like rules, then you can get more nuanced around the rules as the kids get older. Yeah, I love that idea of giving them situations to avoid. That seems more cut and dry. Like you can't ride in the car with, would you say another adult or would you say with a teen or an older child and an adult without letting me know first or situations like that? How would you frame that for kids? I think it would be both because there are statistics where like older teens could sexually abuse children as well. So I think it's just about, you know, A simple one is, you know, always ask for my permission before you go somewhere or get something from someone or things like that. I think those are just like good safety rules Mm -hmm. to have. And like just thinking about when I was talking to my kids about this when they were younger, I think the more you have the conversations, the easier it is to bring in more Mm -hmm. nuance into the conversation. Right. So Mm -hmm. I would first talk about, for instance, or go over these rules. And then I remember saying all the time, like, and it's not just a stranger, right? And I would use examples, like I would ask questions. I'm like, would it be okay if your aunt did that? No. Would it be okay if I did that? Like, no. So I think it's just once you start to have these conversations, you can bring in other topics and it it becomes kind of less scary and less awkward. Yeah. Let's take a quick break to thank this episode's sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Today on the show, our guest is sharing some of the important conversations we need to have with our children to teach them about sexual abuse and consent. Navigating these big topics can feel overwhelming, and you don't have to do it alone. Whether or not you have a trusted partner to go over the resources mentioned in this episode, a professional counselor can also help. It has been so helpful for me to know I can process my thoughts and experiences with a therapist who has an unbiased perspective on my life and who has tools to help important conversations with my kids be productive. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule, done entirely online. Fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash 3in30 today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 3in30. This podcast is also sponsored by KiwiCo. As a parent, it can be hard to find creative ways to keep our children busy, challenged, and off their screens. Please tell me you can relate. Our KiwiCrate subscription adds a little bit of firepower to my mom life. When the kids were younger, the projects helped pass the time on long days. Now it's something Noah and Sally can do independently while I get some work done. The Doodle Crate comes with the most creative crafts. I loved peeking over Sally's shoulder as she created the desktop cork board, and now she is loving being able to hang up pictures and notes in her room. I really appreciate that there's no commitment, so you can pause or cancel anytime. Redefine learning with play. Explore hands-on projects that build creative confidence and problem-solving skills with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line at kiwico.com 3in30. That's 50% off your first month at kiwico.com 3in30. And I think that leads really well into your second takeaway. Yeah, like definitely to just not only frame it as safety talks around personal safety, but think about how to incorporate these conversations into your daily routine and kind of everyday tasks. Hmm. 
So for instance, when my kids were really little, bath time was a perfect time, right? Because you're washing them, you can point out different body parts and talk about them and kind of just in a casual way bring up these conversations. Another time I know, I used to do this a lot with my younger kid. He's in middle school now, but he still does this. Um, he has his most favorite special time was when I was tucking him in at bed. I think that's when he felt the most comfortable and cozy. And so we always call it like our special talk times where he, you know, if he was having a hard day about something or something was going on that was difficult to talk to him, he always felt the most comfortable to talk about it at those times. He still does, actually. So mm -hmm. that's when we would talk about it. You know, as my kids got a little older, who really wants to talk to a teenager about sexual abuse? So maybe a good time would do it when you're in the car where you don't have to be like face to face. You know, mm -hmm. and it's just kind of a casual time to bring it up. And just look for opportunities. Sometimes opportunities just come to you to have mm -hmm. these conversations. I was thinking about it. I remember when my older child, he must have been maybe four and um, we were in a rush and I needed him to go up the stairs to do something, change or something. So we're walking up the stairs and I kind of patted him on his behind. I'm like, come on, let's go. Scoot, scoot. And he turns around and he goes, mom, you're not allowed to touch my private body parts without my permission. And I said, yep, you're absolutely correct. Right. And then we kind of had the conversation. So I think there's lots of opportunities sometimes where things can come up and you can kind mm -hmm. of just casually have the conversation. So I think it's not only thinking about how to embed it into everyday routines, but just when the opportunity comes to talk about it and not kind of shy away from it. Yeah. I think as my kids are getting older and they're more aware of the larger world, current events can sometimes lead to conversations. Yep. I had a couple of children's books that we read when they were younger that were explicitly about this topic, but also just any children's book or show you're watching or anything. If you see something as an adult that you're like, that's kind of a problematic scenario, or even if it's not explicitly about this, you can pause and you can say to them, what do you think about this dynamic that's happening? Or what would you do if an adult gave you a gift and told you not to tell? Or something like that. You can start these conversations. Do you have any favorite children's books that you recommend to parents about this topic? Oh, that's a great question. Um, we have a website, hotchocolatetalk.com. We do an annual kind of campaign around bringing awareness to this topic. And I know on that website, we recommend some books and we also recommend some books associated with our child protection unit program. And I can look at what I have in my library and put some links in the show notes to some of the books that I have. I love that your website is Hot Chocolate Talk. Is it .org or .com? It's both .com or .org. Oh, it's both. Okay, great. Because that's the feeling you want these conversations to have, right? Is you're just having a hot chocolate together and talking about important things as a parent and a child. Yeah, it's really, we wanted to invoke a feeling of like warmth and comfort. And again, because we really understand it, it's very difficult to start these conversations and oftentimes could be awkward. So kind of thinking about like, you know, grab a hot chocolate with your kid. And then when you're feeling warm and cozy, like it's a comfortable, safe space and time to really start these important conversations. Yeah. And I totally relate to what you said about how younger kids, it's sometimes easier. Like they don't know that it's awkward yet. Yes, correct. And so that's another reason why to start when they're little, because you may be dying inside, but they don't have the sense of any of that awkwardness. 
when they get a little older, sometimes they'll push back. And I appreciate it. There was a video on your website where the middle school kid age said, Mom, do we really have to talk about this? And she said, we really do. (laughs) And she's like, it's really important. And we're going to persist through this. So, you know, kids these days will say, cringe. Like, that's so cringy. It's like, yeah, this is cringy. But it's so important. We have to talk about it. And so having those conversations often, even when your children kind of push back, I think allows them to know if something really awkward and terrible were to happen to me in real life, my parents can handle a conversation like that. Yeah. And I think, too, if you start the conversation early, I think then it gets less awkward as they get older. Right. So, like I said, I've been having these conversations with my kids since they were very, very young. And now they're teenagers and we'll have they're more nuanced and different, obviously, than when I talked about when they're three or four. But they don't feel it awkward, like they'll come and talk to me about it, right? Or mm-hmm. different situations. So I just think the more you talk about it, it really normalize it in some sense. And it becomes easier to talk about even when they are teenagers and it can get sometimes cringy. Yeah. Another thought that I had as I looked over all the resources on your website is that having these safety rules not only protects your children from being abused, it also protects your children from becoming abusers in a way. Like, I think a lot of older children and teens may not even understand that they shouldn't ask someone to touch them there. It gives them like, these are the rules. It is never okay to do these things. So then when your kids are a little bit older, they don't even get in a situation where they wonder if it's okay to do something because they know it's not. So they're not sort of unconsciously doing things that might put them in a position where they're accused of something or they get in a terrible situation that they never intend to happen for them, but they weren't clear on body safety rules. Yeah, I mean, framing it around safety rules around consent, I think helps, right? So it's not mm-hmm. only that you have to give consent, but when other people, when you're doing something to someone else and they're not giving consent, and your conversation around consent doesn't have to just be kind of about sexual behavior. It could just be like, oh, I don't want to be tickled. I don't want to hug. I don't want to play with you right now, like things like that. So it's just Teaching your kids to be able to refuse unwanted behavior also helps them like, to think about other people can refuse behavior that I'm doing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then what's your third and final takeaway? So I think my third and final takeaway is that it's really important to teach kids to identify trusted adults because if anything were to happen to them, one of the big safety rules is to really teach children like you have to report it, right? Like that's the only way as adults... We can do something about it and protect them. That's why having open lines of communication is so important. But to go to a trusted adult, it really is the responsibility of adults to keep kids safe and protected. And I think the really important thing, if you're going to teach kids that, is like, okay, identify a trusted adult, is that as adults, we really have to believe kids if they report abuse to us, right? Mm. To stay calm, to really believe them. Very, very rarely do kids lie about something like that happening to them. So it's our job to believe them. So if a mom listening has this situation where their child comes to them and tells them that somebody touched them, and I know every mom is just like panic sets in when they think about that, what should they say? What are some of the things that they can say in that moment to help their child feel safe and also the next actions that they should take? Yeah, I mean, as hard as it would be, I think it's important to stay calm But I think just to say out loud, like, thank you so much for telling me. I believe you. 
I'm going to look into it and I'm going to help, right? I'm going to help the situation. We're going to do something about it. Mm-hmm. I think those are the most important things to tell a child and then to definitely follow up on it. Yeah. And I think just that reassurance of I'm going to keep you safe. You inside, you may be freaking out. You may not know, like, what are my next actions? But the kid doesn't need to know that. You can just tell them, this is not your fault, and I'm going to keep you safe. That's what I would want to hear as a child coming to an adult in that situation. Well, thank you. This has been such a helpful starting place and jumping off point for families. Tell us more about the resources available at hotchocolatetalk.org and where we can learn more about this topic. Yeah, so we do an annual campaign to bring awareness to child sexual abuse prevention. It always coincides with National Child Abuse Prevention Month, which happens in April. And so it's a big hot chocolate talk campaign. It's to bring awareness to families to really start to have these conversations. Goes over really these three key takeaways that I've been talking about today. And you could find resources on hotchocolatetalk.org. And what's so great about the resources is that they're all free. And like we were saying, sometimes the conversation can be really difficult to start or awkward, but we have really great how-to talking guides. It even gives like Mm -hmm. direct things you can say. And what's even more fantastic about them is they're broken down by developmental age group, right? So we have one for like zero to two-year-olds, three to five-year-olds, and different ways and things you could say. Yeah, I have it pulled up in front of me right now. It is fabulous because it's concise. But it has all of these scripts. It's broken down by age. This is an incredible resource. So we'll link that in the show notes for parents to go and read and learn more. And we just want to thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Kim, and for all the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Again, thank you so much for bringing awareness to such an important topic. Many thanks to Dr. Kim for giving us that overview for how to start talking to our kids about childhood sexual abuse. I highly recommend that you go and download the free guide, How to Talk with Kids About Personal Safety and Sexual Abuse, created by the Committee for Children on hotchocolatetalks.org. And I also have that document open right here beside me. So as I recap Dr. Kim's three takeaways, I will weave in as much information from this guide as possible for those of you who may be driving or exercising and not able to go look at this resource right away. Dr. Kim's first takeaway is to have safety talks about unwanted touching early in your child's life as soon as they begin naming their body parts and often as your child grows up. The key here is to have these conversations often, not just a talk one time and assume that everything will be okay. This reminds me a lot of a takeaway we got from therapist Kristen Hodson back in episode 100 about how to talk to your kids about sex. She said that instead of having the talk with our kids, we need to have a thousand one-minute talks with our kids about sexual health over the course of their lifetimes. Yes, and sex abuse prevention can be part of those discussions. What you include in these conversations will change greatly as your children age, but the key is to just start talking. And remember what Dr. Kim said in the episode, these topics are often much more awkward for us as adults than they are for our children, especially for our young children who don't have context for why it would be hard for us to talk about this. I don't usually go into this much detail in my episode recaps, but this topic is so important, and I have this guide from the Committee for Children right in front of me, so I'm just going to read some of it to you. The guide says that with children ages 0 to 5, you should, quote, keep conversations short and simple and focus on teaching basic personal safety rules, the correct names for all the body parts, and how to refuse unwanted touches. This might sound like a bigger person should never touch your private parts, and you can always say no or stop if you don't like something. 
end quote. The guide also mentions that you might consider talking to young children about the difference between secrets and surprises. A secret is something that's supposed to stay hidden forever, and an adult should never ask you to keep a secret of any kind. A surprise is something that we may need to keep quiet about for a while, but it will eventually be shared. When children are a bit older, like ages 6 to 8, you want to get more specific with your family's personal safety rules. You might add to their understanding of safe versus unsafe touch by using another great script from this guide from Committee for Children. Quote, safe touches make you feel well cared for and loved, like a hug from a parent. They're good for you. Unsafe touches make you feel uncomfortable and might even hurt. The guide also advises that you can tell your kids to pay attention to different feelings in your body, like butterflies in your tummy, sweaty palms, or a fast heartbeat. That might mean a situation is not okay. When your children are 9 to 10, they may start spending more time away from you at friends' homes or activities, and they may also spend more time online without your supervision. So it's important to continue these safety discussions and know who your child spends time with, including coaches, church leaders, and friends' older siblings. You might also expand the conversation to start talking more about how technology can be involved in abuse, pointing out things like no one should take photos of your private body parts or show you photos of other people's private body parts. The guide goes on to say that many of the same safety rules apply to older kids and teens, but might need to be framed in a way that's more open-ended. Rather than giving a one-sided talk about safe choices that your child may tune out, focus on open, honest, and ongoing dialogue. And there are a whole bunch of conversation starters and scripts for older kids and teens in the guide. So make sure that you go and download that. Dr. Kim's second takeaway really builds on the first one, and that is to incorporate body safety conversations into your child's daily routine, like bedtime, bath time, or when leaving the house. Bath time is a great time to name body parts and to ask your child's permission before you wash them to show them the importance of consent. This can lead to discussions about who is allowed to touch you and who is not, and be sure to include the people in their lives who they're closest to, including their siblings, grandparents, step-parents, and aunts and uncles. No one is allowed to touch your private parts without your consent, and even with your consent, the list is very short of who is allowed to touch you when you are a child. And as hard and heavy as these conversations are, I mean, I'm just feeling tightness in my chest thinking about these topics. Dr. Kim reminds us to try to bring a sense of warmth, comfort, and normalcy to these personal safety conversations so your child feels comfortable coming to you with questions and concerns. Before we end, I want to acknowledge that there is actually nothing we can do as parents to completely prevent childhood sexual abuse. Sometimes we do everything we can to be careful and vigilant, and we have all the conversations, and this still happens. But the research does show, and I'm directly quoting from the Committee for Children here, that children who are informed about their bodies and who feel comfortable talking openly with a caring adult are less likely to be abused and more likely to disclose abuse if it happens, end quote. I also want to acknowledge that I know that there are some parents listening today who have already had a child disclose sexual abuse to you. I am so incredibly sorry that this happened to your family. I know it might be easy to blame yourself and wonder if you could have prevented it, but the fact that your child told you what happened is a huge sign of the safety in your relationship, and so much healing is possible within close, connected family relationships. Keep talking and keep supporting your child as they process what they've been through. They are so lucky to have you as a safe space. Which leads really well into our third takeaway. Teach your children how to identify trusted adults and tell them if sexual abuse does happen. Hopefully your child would come to you, but if that's too hard for them, who is another safe adult that they could talk to? 
Have that discussion with them. Talk through a plan with your child for if they find themselves in a situation that is uncomfortable so they know what to do and who to go to, especially when they are away from you in situations outside of your home. I think it's every parent's worst nightmare that their child would come to them with this, but if it happens, do your best to stay calm and assure your child that you believe them, that this is not their fault, and that you will keep them safe. And there are resources on the guide for who to call next if you find yourself in this situation. I want to end by reading you something that Dr. Kim wrote in her episode outline that really touched me. She said, Ultimately, creating an atmosphere of trust and openness around topics like consent and sexual abuse prevention will benefit your relationship with your child beyond just keeping them safe and informed. It will show them that you love, trust, and believe in them. They'll learn it's safe to confide in you with all their questions and concerns, no matter how difficult they may seem, creating a powerful bedrock of trust and love that we all hope for as parents. Yes. This is why it's worth it to talk about tough topics with our kids, no matter how scary and awkward it might seem at first. Our kids need us to be brave and start these conversations. And my friends, I know we can do it. I'm going to start small this week, and I'm going to have a conversation with my children about this. I hope that you will too. As always, I'm rooting for you, and I hope that you have a beautiful week with your family. 